Welcome to the John Nuzzo Leadership Podcast. Before we begin, we'd like to tell you about two high-impact opportunities happening this September. The first is Pastor Chris Hodges from Church of the Highlands. He'll be live at Victory on September 6th at 7 p.m. There's no charge to attend, and everyone's welcome. The second event happens on Friday, September 22nd and Saturday, September 23rd. It's our annual exchange conference and is designed for anyone serving in your church, including pastors, leaders, and volunteers. Our hope is to resource you so that you can double in attendance, effectiveness, and influence. Individual and group registrations are available. So visit us online at exchangevictory.com to personalize your schedule and register today. Welcome to uh, round two with Gerald Brooks. Uh, Just to recap a little bit from last time, we talked about how you overcame the personal roadblocks. You talked about your beginnings in Sweetwater, Texas, when you uh, failed and blew up a church, and and then now 35 years of growing sustainable ministry in Plano, Texas. But we ended by talking about the impact that we all face as leaders, where our emotions can be just devastated. I think I've heard you use the term, and I've, or it's a coin from a book, the emotional quotient that a person has to have to, 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 to survive this. I know in my own life, my own emotional issues, the, only, the things I had to grow through personally, were critical. And so I'd like you to maybe walk us into that. Talk to us about the emotional capacity necessary when you, as we talked about in our prior uh, podcast, that when, when you as maybe not a young leader with hopes and dreams, but maybe you're in the middle of this journey and you've hit your, your wall and you feel like no matter how hard I work, it seems like I do two things right and five things go wrong, and it just seems like I, I just can't break through. And people begin to feel internally very, very broken and, and sorrowful, and that what God put in their heart may never come to pass. And so I know as a, as a pastor for 35 years, you've, you've experienced every imaginable emotional high and low. And so talk, can you talk to us, Gerald? And again, welcome. Thank you for taking the time to do this. But Talk to us just a little bit and get because we want to get right into the content about the emotional capacity of a leader. Well, John, one of the things I had to learn was that uh, where I went to school that I'm very proud of, um, they taught me well how to handle spiritual initiative. They even taught me how to handle physical discipline. But for whatever reason, I lacked the ability to handle emotional well-being. And that really came to the forefront when our church had grown through several phases. But literally, at that time, we were growing to the thousand mark. Now, this is many, many years ago. Um, There weren't many churches that had busted through that, and it was sort of like, if you do that, you've climbed Everest. But what people didn't know was, I was closer to quitting ministry at that time than any other time, because I had reached my emotional edge. I couldn't take hearing of another family going through trauma, of hearing somebody else who had been diagnosed, of dealing with another person who was telling me they were leaving the church, someone who was disappointed or frustrated. I was so overwhelmed by every little thing that I didn't know how to manage it. And so from that, that began a journey for me, uh, writing a book entitled The Emotional Makeup of a Leader. 
For me, the spiritual side was something I was well aware of. The natural side was something I was cognizant of, but it was the emotional capacity. And, you know, in the book of Romans in chapter 12, it says in there, you know, that we are to uh, rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. And if I could just sort of summarize that, what it says is ministry is emotional. And every day you're dealing with emotional extremes. You're going to be on top of the mountain and you're going to be on the bottom of the mountain. And you're going to have to navigate that. And I had never been taught for me, and I'm not saying maybe I didn't listen as well as others did, but for me it was the struggle to learn how do I handle the emotional baggage that comes on. And that was really where I felt the pressure the most. If you could maybe help us with a couple things. One is, you mentioned the book that you wrote, which is a great resource for people. If somebody wants to get a copy of the book, and as well, I would suggest that all the listeners would go on iTunes or through Google or through your, your, the website you're about to mention and, 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 uh, and to subscribe to your podcast. Because this information needs to be downloaded into their life on a consistent basis. I've read the book. It speaks to this issue wonderfully. So just if you just take a moment and tell people how they could become a part of the podcast as well as access to your materials and the books that you've written. Well, it's pretty simple. Just go to GeraldBrooksMinistries.com, uh, and when you go there, you're going to be able to have access to all of the processes there, the books we've written, and the information that we've put out. Um, that being said, thank you so much, John. You're such a remarkable leader that um, it's just a thrill to be able to talk to you as you talk to pastors. Um, John, I came so close to wanting to leave ministry. I wanted to leave ministry. And there were a couple of things that were really uh, the things that helped me. And one of them was I had to realize that I had a choice. I could base my identity on my position or on performance. And for the first part of my life, I had let performance be my identity instead of my position in Christ. And I know that sounds very simple, but for me, it was uh, something that I had to navigate through. What did I look like before God and not what did I look like before my church? Right. Where did I look in the eyes of Jesus not where did I look in my eyes in comparison to other pastors. And for me, that was a defining moment where I had to be comfortable with the fact of what Paul said when he said, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle, and he dealt with three equations. He dealt with him as a person, he dealt with his position, and he dealt with his performance. Paul the person, uh, Paul's position as a servant, and then his performance as an apostle. And any time a pastor convolutes those and makes it about apostle, serve, and them last, they'll lose. So the order that Paul sets out there is the defining descript of how we survive ministry. We know who God made us as a person, we serve him joyfully, and we function in whatever the position he's given us. You know, when you talk about the emotional swings that we face, I've heard you talk about, and every pastor's experienced this, that you'll be in the middle of a meeting where you're, you might be at a wedding, a joyous moment that you're a part of, or a joyous whatever occurring, and right in the middle of that, you get a phone call of the exact opposite of someone that you love or care for 
to part of your church that was either injured or killed in an accident or got horrible news. And that swing of emotion, you go right back into that, you hear that, you get that information, and you go right back into that joyful moment, and you're, and you're twisting inside. And so just that's a microcosm of, of what can happen in a day. Absolutely. But having that happen over 35 years, there has to be a spiritual component that you found that you've made very practical in your life. Because sometimes we're looking, I, I think I've always looked for uh, people that have found a way to do something that would make it, I don't know, easy and not have to, I won't, I won't need discipline if I could figure out your secret sauce. I won't have to do the hard things. I won't have to do the things that other people typically avoid. Uh, but there are things that you have made a part of your daily life that if they've not been a part of your daily life, this would not be happening for you. You would have hit the wall and never gotten through it and backed off and never, certainly you wouldn't be pouring your life out now into others freely and, and caring for other people with absolutely no uh, discernible reward other than the betterment of their life. So what are some of the practical things that you've done to be able to manage the emotions of your life that, though they might sound simple to somebody, but they're probably not typically done by most pastors? Well, everyone's in a different journey, but for me, two of the skills I had to learn emotionally were, first of all, solitude. Uh, when you're a pastor, you're with people all the time, and you're doing things all the time. There's not a shortage of places to go, people to be with. Someone's always divine, uh, demanding your time and attention. But for me, I had to learn that for me to be my best, for God to do his best, I needed solitude. I needed to create moments where it was just going to be me and God. And the problem is, in our society, we are so used to hanging out with people that we let hanging out with people be a substitute for hanging out with God. And so I had to learn to take time apart and to really give God access. And from solitude, I learned a second principle called sifting, letting God sift through the emotions of my day. Sort of like you would uh, have someone go through their garage and say, I'm going to keep this. Well, I'm not going to keep this. I'm going to throw this away. I've been saving this, but you don't really need to save it. And what I've learned is that capacity that David talked about of search me, O God, and try me. I had to let God do the sifting versus me do the sorting. And what I found was too often I was sorting and I wasn't letting him sift. And so I could say, I can handle this. I don't need to let go of this. But there were little things that God said, you got to let go of that. You can't hold on to that because we love moments of esteem and and we hold on to them. We dislike moments of hardship and we want to let go of them. But sometimes God does the reverse and he says, that esteem, I want you to lose it. That hardship, I want to talk to you about it. And so I had to figure out how to be alone with God. And as I've said in a lot of rooms, I found out that a lot of times loneliness is God just saying, I want you to be alone with me. Mm -hmm. And I've had to let God create solitude moments where he can sift rather than me sort. I think when you talk about a daily devotional aspect of your life, I think everybody understands that's a, a pretty important part of your Christian life. I think the uniqueness of it is, is that you found what appears to be a daily way to sift through the emotions of a leader, the emotions of a person, a husband, a father, a pastor, whatever. And that, to me, is the uniqueness, is that 
I think a lot of us certainly have a devotional time with God. We read the Word, we pray, we we write the things that God puts in our heart. But uh, I don't really, I, I don't know that I've ever heard somebody simply say, I, I don't, I, I've never heard anyone say that they let God help them sift through and the emotions that they're processing. Because we all know that there's things we should lay down before God and, and, and lay at his feet and cast our care upon him. And we can quote the scriptures. But I think, again, what I think has set you apart in, in what you've done with your life is that you've taken what is a biblical truth and you've actually found a way to live it in a very practical daily uh, discipline. And so when it comes to sorting through and sifting, if you will, out the things that need to be removed that do us damage, the emotional content that we carry that damage us. I found in my own life, Mm -hmm. as well as people that I've dealt with through 30 plus years now of ministry, that the emotion of regret seems to be so difficult for people to pass through their life to actually sift away. Uh, And I'm certain in 35 years you have your share. Uh, how, How have you dealt with that? How have you dealt with the regrets that perhaps you face that because they can haunt you, you could, because you can't go back and redo some things. And so how, how, have you, how have you processed that? Well, that feeling of missed opportunities or uh, not seizing an opportunity are always before you. And uh, one of the things that I've learned about regret is that most of my regrets came from comparison. I tended to look at other people and I saw the pace that they were succeeding at, or I saw the size that they were succeeding. I saw the bandwidth of their influence. And what I found was that, at least for me, uh, comparison and competition was the thing that many times led to my regrets. And if I could illustrate it with this, like most pastors, I've taken a missions trip so many times. But one time I was taking it where I ended my service, where I finished. The service was still going on, so I'm taking off to meet people at the airport to head down to Central America. So it's one of the few times I'm leaving my church and I'm passing other people's churches when they're still meeting. So I'm passing these churches, and I happen to look over at one, and I see their parking lot. Well, when you've pastored as long as you and I have, John, you can tell me how many cars are in the parking lot. I'll tell you how many people are in the building. And so uh, I began to honestly look over there, and when I looked over there, I said, they had more cars than us. I literally thought to myself, they had more cars. And I found myself being frustrated that another church had more cars. And all this is happening in a split second, and I'm sitting there thinking, you know what? You're about to go on a missions trip to try to change people's lives, and you're frustrated that someone else has more vehicles. And I realized at that point that uh, I I was heading down a path of extreme regret because I was mad at other people's successes rather than the opportunities God was giving me. And uh, I just found in my life that uh, I've learned not to let someone else's success cause me to miss God's opportunities. And um, I've been in ministry a long time, but what I've also learned is, is this. There's a platform God's given me, and I can't change what that platform is. Now, I can utilize it to its fullest, and I can grow it to its largest impact, but there's a platform And so sometimes you look around and you see certain people on TV and say, well, why don't I have that platform? Uh, Why don't I have that stature? 
And what God says is, is I don't want you to overlook the opportunities I'm giving you because you regret the fact that you don't have what they have. And so for me, maybe it's the competitive edge. Maybe it's just the fact of, of ego gotten the best of me. I tended to create regret through moments of comparison rather than, um, you know, necessarily just saying, I regret something. I was just frustrated by the fact that I didn't have what everyone else had. And, you know, it's so interesting in Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And the interesting thing is, pastors want more than any group I know. We want everyone's programs, we want everyone's buildings, we want everyone's worship team, we want everything. And the Bible says, if you're really going to lead, then you've got to let him be Lord. And you cannot be wanting everything that everyone else has. You know, as I as I look at the people that I know will be listening to this podcast, if you're from where we live, I'm in western Pennsylvania. Where I live in western Pennsylvania is not typical to western Pennsylvania. So if people were to compare what's happening in their town or their city compared to where I am, it's it's not a fair comparison. Absolutely. Um, our proximity to the city of Pittsburgh is 25 minutes, an interstate right down into the city. Uh, that's it's the population base has moved this way. Uh, businesses have brought their headquarters here. People move into this area, into the North Hills of Pittsburgh, uh, from outside. So when they come here, they're they're embracing change because this is new for so many people. But for most places around our region, you're talking generations of people, and you don't bring change easily into those environments. Absolutely. So when people come here. I'm always careful to say, listen, this is not typical to Western Pennsylvania. And if you take the Northeast in general, goodness, there are more, if you will, I hate to use the term, but mega churches in the city of Dallas than in the entirety of the Northeast. I mean, that's insanity when you think about it. It's a different ground that people are working here. Absolutely. And so there's going to be a pastor listening to this. He's in a smaller town. He has His population base isn't huge. Uh, but he's being, he really is touching the people in his community, and they're growing. But, but when they do bring that comparison issue in, and they maybe compare themselves to someone in a larger demographic, or maybe someone who's just maybe grown more people, that it really does bring that. And I think we've all faced that in our life. And so since you've, you've processed that personally, even though you were doing pretty well when you felt that. Yeah. So it isn't just if you're struggling that you can deal with this. It can happen in any phase, in any time of your life. And so if you could speak to that pastor that may feel overlooked, that's right now in a smaller community that maybe they've hit some economic hard times in their community, and everything seems to be uphill, not just in their church, but with the people they serve, what would you tell them as they manage their emotions? Well, the first thing I'd say to every pastor, whether uh, you would be the largest or the smallest, is that when we get to heaven, God's not going to ask any of us how many we ran. And I think that that's an important thing. There's questions that we ask down here that God's not asking up there. He's asking a simple question. Will we be faithful to what he's given us? Will we set our hand to the plow? Uh, John, you and I know that in parts of Pennsylvania, there are small communities that if you run 150 people, you're a megachurch. Absolutely. And there are communities out in the uh, 
Texas that if you're running a couple hundred people, percentage-wise, you're blowing everyone that you and I would esteem out of the waters. Right. And so what I'd say is just remember, you know, uh, numbers are a data point, but they also are a misrepresentation. Uh, when I started in ministry, as I mentioned uh, earlier, uh, there was a church near us that had, um, you know, thousands and thousands of people. And the thousands of people that it had, everyone went there. But the problem was uh, it had a turnover rate of about 50%. And anyone who pastors knows that if you're losing 50% of your people, you don't have much of a future. And even though everyone went to the pastor's conferences, a few of us knew that it couldn't last. In a few years, it imploded. And so what I'd say is uh, that when you look at the numbers game, it's a game. And it's not God's game. You be faithful to where God has you. You be diligent to serve the people that you are. Here's the only thing. Don't let size, big or small, be the reason that you're not growing personally. That's huge. And so grow personally. You can be uh, a person who's in a small community and your heart can grow. You can be in a large community and your heart can be in a place that you're not growing. But you're right. Uh, In the area you're in, in the area I'm in, if you can't catch fish when they're throwing them in the lake, it speaks of your fishing ability. (laughs) And um, I would just say to every pastor out there uh, that numbers are a distortion on either end. And don't let that afflict your soul. Well, thank you. Uh, as we conclude this, uh, the, the final podcast with you, I want to thank you for, per- first, what you've done for me personally, uh, just helping me grow as a person, then helping me with the skills as a pastor, taking phone calls that have helped me navigate through some very difficult things. And I guess what I would finally want to encourage people is that there are Gerald Brooks that are available for everybody that God has for them in their life. Maybe they, don't, they won't have the personal relationship with you, but they can listen to your podcast, they can go back and get your material, and then others that God will use to, to build their lives. And I really want to encourage pastors to take those steps because you can, as the scripture says, you can enlarge your heart. Even when everything around you is difficult, your heart can be enlarged. And so it's our heart's desire, Gerald, for Michelle and I in, the, in our church, is to see local churches and local pastors just be able to be resourced in overlooked areas that they've been just in essence, they don't feel a significance. And that's a, and what a lie. They're incredibly significant to God, and they are remarkably significant to everybody they reach. And so I just wanted to take that moment and, and thank you uh, for taking the time to pour into the lives of, of the men and women that are listening to this. And if, you, if we could, would you just close praying for everybody? And uh, I'd sure appreciate it. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just um, lift up all the listeners. I thank you, first of all, if they're listening to a podcast, they obviously have a heart to grow. And Father, that's the premium thing that you ask of all of us. Jesus was a root growing out of dry ground. We may think that the ground that we're on may not be as good as someone else's ground, but wherever you planted us, you've asked us to grow. And I thank you, Lord, that these individuals Father, they're growing because of the wisdom of, of John News, O oh Lord, and the journey that they're taking with him on these podcasts. The Word of God is going to begin to be engrafted in their heart, and it's going to bring forth fruit. And so, Lord, I'm so happy for all of the listeners that their best days are ahead of them. And I thank you, Father, that John and Michelle's best days are ahead of them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Gerald, thanks so much. 
Thanks again for tuning in to the John Nuzzo Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to rate, review, and share this podcast on iTunes. It's a great way to get the word out and to help others grow as leaders. We'll see you back here next time for another episode of the John Nuzzo Leadership Podcast.